Um, so let's turn in our Bibles to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. I wonder if anybody can quote this. Acts chapter 1. Uh, and I'm going to read uh, through verse 3, maybe verse 8. We'll see here. And then uh, we'll get started. We're talking this week about our response to the gospel, our response to the mandate of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 1, the former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach, until the day he was taken up, after he through the Holy Ghost had given commandment unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days from now. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times of the seasons which the Father has put in his own power, but you shall receive power. After the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea, and all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. That is like an awesome passage of Scripture. Some of the last words uh, of Jesus on the earth before he ascended to heaven. And, uh, you know, verse 1 we talked about the first week. Uh, this former letter, the first letter that I sent to you, Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and to teach. So we see that Jesus didn't just finish his ministry when he went up to heaven, when he ascended up to heaven, but he just began for three and a half years. I was thinking about that uh, last week or the week before, and I thought, man, you know, I'm uh, 39 now. Actually, be 40 next week. I think it's next week already. And, um, but I thought about Jesus, and I thought, wow, he started his ministry at 30, and at 33 and a half, he didn't end his ministry. He continued. It says, all that Jesus began to do and to teach. So for those three and a half years, it's what he began to do and to teach. Because remember, uh, when he was 30 years old, that's when he was baptized in the River Jordan and the Holy Spirit descended on him in the form of a dove, and that's when his ministry began. We don't see, unless you're looking at um, maybe old nursery rhymes or, or those type of things, we don't really see Jesus healing a bird or a cat or anything else when he was a young man. He wasn't uh, empowered with ministry until the Holy Spirit came upon him. We learn in Colossians that uh, he laid aside his mighty power and glory. And the Bible says, one translation, he became as a mere man. So Jesus, of course, was in heaven, is God, was with God, had all of the power and the glory of God. And he said, you know what, I'm going to lay that aside. I'm going to put that aside and I'm going to come down and be as a mere man. And You know, they say that uh, the Bible is really about two people, the first Adam and the last Adam, the first Adam and the second Adam. And the first Adam kind of messed everything up. People say, I want to have words with him. Well, you know, I just want to hear him tell the stories. I'm not thrilled with what he did, but I'm not really mad at him either. Uh, I don't think it was the, the best choice. But... The first Adam messed everything up. And God said, you know, God created the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything that's in them. And really, he created all of the heavens uh, with a focus on the earth, for the earth. And then he created the earth. And then he created all of the beings on the earth. And he created all of this. 
And what's the last thing that he created? Man. So he created... What was that? Woman. Mankind, how about that? So he created all of this for mankind. He created the earth. He created all of the animals, the living living animals, the beasts, the birds of the air, all of the planets, the solar system uh, is created for man because he wanted fellowship with man. He wanted to dwell with man. And then he said uh, to Adam, he said, I give you dominion. You're in charge of all the works of my hands. I'm giving you dominion over all that. Except for don't touch this tree, but we're not, that's not our focus. But he said, I give you dominion over all of this. And so to have dominion, you have to like take charge, take authority, and you pick. To the extent that Adam got to name all of the animals. He's the one that got to choose their names. God did not choose their names. Adam chose their names. So Adam's in charge. And so fully did God delegate the authority on the earth to Adam that Adam could mess it up and lose that authority and turn it over to Satan. And that's, that's really what happened. So the devil uh, usurped authority from Adam by um, tricking Eve, but Adam really knew what he did. Uh, so then the devil, uh, Ephesians tells us, became the god of this world and this world system. That's why we see so many bad things happening. People's like, if God's in charge, why is all this stuff happening? Why is all this destruction? Well, God's not in charge. God uh, bound himself to his word. And he said, I give you dominion, Adam. And Adam had so much dominion that he could give it away. So the only way that he could get it back was for Jesus Christ to come in the form of an Adam, the second Adam, the Bible calls him, and to get it back. So Jesus had to come and live a perfect, sinless, stainless life to get it back, and then to pay the penalty for our sins so that he could redeem us, so he could buy us back. And that's when, um, you know, when you become a Christian, that's when you become a a new creature in Christ Jesus. And we've been uh, kind of camping on that confession each week, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So if you're born again, and I think... Uh, those of you that I can see are, then you're a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And one of the weeks we discussed that you have to like behold those things because it doesn't, it doesn't fall on you like Brother Hagin would say, like ripe cherries off a tree or like I would say like ripe peaches off of a tree because in Michigan, actually about this time of year, if you go to the peach patch and you're like picking peaches, some of those are just gonna you'll bump the limb and it'll just fall right off. And if you don't catch it, you're kind of disappointed because it goes splat and you see all that juice that could be dripping from your mouth on the floor, on the ground. But it's not automatic. It doesn't just happen. Like, like we're born again and all your problems are gone. Uh, that's not actually it. You get born again, you actually enter the game. <laughs> the fight of faith. Uh, Jesus won victory over the devil, but our faith is a faith fight. So our, fa- our fight is to believe God, no matter what the circumstances, everything else tells us. We walk by faith and not by sight, not by our senses, not by what we see, hear, feel, think. We, we walk by faith, which means faith is simply acting on the word of God. And uh, faith is simply acting on what God says. Okay? We think of the word of God as the Bible, and the Bible is the word of God, but sometimes we get too religious about it, and we say... Okay, I'm acting on the word of God. 
uh, I think it's better if we read the word of God and we sit down and we say, like John Osteen started, people think Joel Osteen started this, but John Osteen really started it. Somebody probably before him started it, but this is my Bible. I will receive the incorruptible, indestructible, word, ever-living word of God. And Brother Hagin would say, you know, read the word and say, this is God speaking to me. So if we approach the word of God, uh, again, uh, that Hagin, we traveled with him for, you know, the last few years of his ministry on the earth, and he would constantly say, receive it reverently and humbly, meaning okay, Lord, I don't know as much as what you know, and I'm revering this like this is you speaking to me. This is God speaking to me. So if we can uh, take off our religious glasses, so to speak, and just have a relationship with Jesus Christ, a relationship with God through Jesus Christ by the presence of the Holy Spirit, we come to the Word of God and we say, okay, Father God, I know that you said your Holy Spirit is my teacher I'm trusting him right now to teach me. I don't just want to see words on a page like a history book or a college uh, class. I want your ever-living word to penetrate deep into my heart. We learn in Romans 10, 17 that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. What, uh, my favorite translation, I think, is today's English. It says, faith is awakened by hearing the word of God. So really, when you're born again, Romans says that he's given to every man the measure of faith. If he's given to every man the measure of faith, that means we all have the measure of faith. And there's only one faith, one God kind of faith, the God kind of faith. Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty two, one one of my favorite scriptures, have faith in God. So this week when you have something happening in your life and you're kind of like uh, caught off guard or next week or whenever that happens because it will happen, Mark eleven twenty two is the answer. You have faith in God. So when you sit down to read the word of God, have faith in God. So we're looking and saying, okay, this is God speaking to me. So God, this is you speaking to me, and I'm going to trust what you're saying. I'm not going to trust all these external things. I'm going to trust what you're saying, and I'm going to receive this uh, uh, not as a man speaking, but as you speaking. And really, that's how you're supposed to receive when um, you have a ministry gift speaking to you. It's interesting that you can, things can start sinking and you don't even realize it. It's a great sermon illustration. This is the cussing pulpit in case, or the, the cussing music stand in case anybody doesn't know. But I've covered up the cussing. This is a middle school that we're having church in right now, and so the, little, the, the young middle school children have lots of fun writing lots of things. So the former letter uh, that I made, Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. So the point that we're trying to make is that Jesus began to do and to teach when he was here on the earth. And if we're reading from the Word of God, the Bible says that holy men of God wrote as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And so we know that these words were um, unctioned, utterance was given by the Spirit of God for Luke to write these words. And, you, you know, you got to wonder if Luke realized when he was writing this, what he was writing, like the power in his own words. I know I've written before and started writing and kind of inspired by the Spirit of God I've been writing, and I looked at it later and I'm like, Wow. That is awesome. That is definitely not from me. 
And you thank God for the times when the Holy Spirit uh, speaks through you. But you realize when the Spirit of God inspires something, you can get revelation off of something that you yourself spoke out or you, you yourself wrote. Because why? Well, look at this. Uh, I'll take this journey for just a second. If I come and lay hands on you for healing and God heals you, did I heal you? But whose hand touched you? My hand. So if I speak something through, to you through the word of God, if I say that Jesus came and he took upon himself the Bible says the iniquities of us all, the sins of us all. He took on every bad thing that we ever did. And then he on the cross bore the weight of those and he conquered those. He conquered, uh, went to hell, conquered the devil, the demons, and he rose victorious. And now there's new life in him, the gospel message. And you respond to that and you're made a new creature in Christ Jesus. I spoke those words, but my words are not what changed you. It's the word of God that changed you. So I laid hands on you maybe, but my hand is not what healed you. If somebody has an anointing, they're like, my anointing? Well, really, it's not yours. It's the Lord's anointing. Anointing just means smeared on. You were smeared on by the Spirit of God to minister a certain way in a certain area. But God does the work. He does the work. But like we said, God, uh, a few weeks ago, God is sitting up in heaven on the throne. And he has some awesome thoughts, awesome ideas. The Bible says that he desires, doesn't desire that anyone would perish. He wants all people to be born again. Well, why aren't we? I mean, we are, but why isn't everybody? Why aren't we? Why aren't we collectively the world? Why isn't the world saved? Well, because how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they be preached unless they be sent? Well, maybe I should not say preacher. It says preacher, a proclaimer, someone to proclaim. We just read Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You'll receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You'll be witnesses to me both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Uh, a witness is someone that how they live their life is a testimony. And you're a witness, a personal witness. Uh, you know, John said the things that we have seen and heard and handled with our own hands. This is what we're telling you. This is what we're declaring to you. So when we're ministering to other people, we just want to tell our testimony. Like, what has God done in your life? What has God done in my life? That's the best way to reach out to someone. Because why? You're an expert. You may not be an expert on a lot of passages of the Scripture. I'm not an expert in a lot of passages of Scripture. I know some things. I feel like I know so little, minute. But one thing I know better than anybody else except for God is my own testimony. I know what God did in my life, and you know what God did in your life. And you might think, well, I wasn't, this is, this is a joke that some people might, it's not a joke, it's serious, but I might not have been like a gang member and got bullet holes in my body and, you know, can tell a testimony like that. But you know what? How many people, if you just take it home in the United States, how many people are gang members and have bullet holes in their body? But there's people that have, and they're really probably going to be very effective in ministering to them. And there's other people that have your experiences or experiences similar to you that you'll be the most effective at reaching. But you don't want to reach them, like I don't want to reach people with Tim. I want to reach them with Jesus Christ. And I want to draw people's attention to Jesus Christ. So what happened is Jesus came and he, was, he lived three and a half years, ministered three and a half years. He showed us how a man anointed by the Spirit of God would minister to people that were lost. He showed us how a man anointed by the Spirit of God would heal people. He showed us really what God is like. 
You want to know what God is like? You look at Jesus. We want to see if God loves people, look at Jesus. You want to see if God's will is to heal people, look at Jesus. And uh, we look at Jesus. So God's up there, and he can't do anything about it. He's got these big ideas, these big plans for you, for me, and especially for those that are lost. And so he's got all these things, but he can't do anything because he's delegated authority to man. So he sent Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ came um, to seek and to save the lost. He came to destroy the works of the devil. He came that we might have life and that more abundantly. So he came that we would have this overflowing life. We learned that life there is the Greek word zoe, which means the life, really life as God has it, or you could say the life and the nature of God. So he came with that nature. Well, someone with a nature just like Jesus, what would they act like? Jesus. Someone with zoe flowing in them and flowing through their veins because of the Spirit of God inside of them, what's going to happen when that power uh, of zoe comes in contact with sickness or disease? Sickness or disease will be annihilated. So Jesus came to show us what to do because Jesus had the life of God in him and upon him, and he showed us what to do. So he began to do it. So if he said by the Spirit of God all that Jesus began to do, then that must mean if he began, he's still doing it. But now we are the body of Christ, and members in particular. Each of you is a particular member of the body of Christ. And so we have that same Holy Spirit anointing. That's, that's how Jesus set it up. He's like, you know what? I have to go. And uh, it's good for you that I'm leaving. It's actually better for you that I leave. And how many times have you heard like somebody... Maybe a, a minister, but maybe not even a minister. Maybe somebody that's a close friend that really helped you in your walk with the Lord and just your relationship with the Lord. And they're like, you know what? I'm going away to college, or I'm moving to this state or that state, or I'm getting married. And things are going to change, you know, in that relationship. And you think, and they say, you know, this is better for you. I don't know how many people say that, but <laughs> Jesus said it. And we think, you know, we're outside of that whole circle, but these guys are the inner circle, and Jesus is with them, and he's like, you know what? I'm leaving, but it's going to be better. Really? How is it going to be better? Well, they didn't quite understand what we understand because they didn't have the benefit of all of the um, word of God that we have. So it's better because he said, if I don't ascend, the Holy Spirit can't come. But when he has come, he will do this and this and this and this. So he went so that he could be multiplied, his life could be multiplied in all of the believers. And that is way better because, um, you know, if Jesus were still on the earth today, uh, you know, he died, buried, rose again, came back, and if he didn't ascend, uh, the Holy Spirit couldn't come. If the Holy Spirit couldn't come, I think you and I would have a very hard time getting close to Jesus. Because you know how many crowds of people would be around Jesus? And like now the buildings I think are harder to get through than like when they let the lame man down. I have to like get a jackhammer or a bomb or something, you know, and get arrested. I'm just trying to get close to Jesus. Well, we don't have to do that, praise God. We can just come right into the presence of God by the Holy Spirit because God made a way through Jesus Christ. So Jesus said, it's, it's much better for you that I go away. Uh... And then we see until the day he was taken up. That's our inspiration. Jesus, until the day he was taken up, it was only like 40 days. 
He came 40 days preaching concern, uh, things concerning the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God, a great way to think of it, is just God coming to live in the believer. The kingdom of God has come near you, has come in you. So he is our inspiration. And then today, uh, we're going to talk just a real short time here about the response to the commandment of Jesus. So verse 2, until the day he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandment to the apostles he had chosen. So God, uh, through Jesus, gave us a commandment. After he had given commandment. So there has to be, uh, when somebody gives you a command, you have to respond. doesn't mean you have to do it, but you're responding. If I said, Jeremy, bring me that uh, bottle of water, he would have a choice to respond, to either like bring me the water or to just sit there. So, uh, I have one here. But he has a choice, right? So if he just sits there and ignores me, he's still making a choice. I'm still speaking. And I may say, I'm super thirsty, and I, I, really, I really need a drink, and it's going to really help me. But if he just chooses to ignore and sit there, that's a choice. He's choosing. So the thing that I try to stay stirred up about is whenever you hear the Word of God or you read the Word of God, you're making a choice, and I'm making a choice. Like, uh, especially you hear it through uh, a minister that's where we maybe would first like connect and say, like, eh, I don't really believe he knows what he's talking about or she knows what she's talking about or eh, I'm not really sure about that. But you realize we do the same thing with the Word of God. We're just uh, more religiously minded about it. I would never do that with the Word of God. Well, you know, there might be some scriptures that we could come up with that would cause you to be, ooh, a little bit, you know, <laughs> and that's not my purpose, so we're not going to do that. But what we have to realize is each one of us, when we read these words, go into all the world and preach the gospel, fell from the lips of Jesus Christ. What are you going to do with that? What am I going to do with that? What am I doing with that? Today, tomorrow, this week. So really we're making a choice, and by making uh, no choice, uh, that's a choice. So the theme today is, you know, we're talking about responding uh, to the call of God, to the mandate of Jesus Christ. And kind of the theme is, the big question would be, what brings out God's best in you? So not like your best or my best or your parents' best, but what brings out the best of God inside of you? So think about that for a second. What brings out the best of God? Like how could the best of God show up in you? And then think about what we've been talking about, that Jesus is our example, that he began to do these things. He's our inspiration and now uh, Jesus Christ has given a mandate. So the answer to the question is when you discover God's plan for you, that God has a plan for you. So how can God's best come out in you? Discover God's plan and that it depends on you. So like I said, God's kind of sitting up there on his throne. He has lots of things he wants to do, but he can't do them. I like... Um, uh, I just forgot his name. I don't know if it's John Wesley or not. I think it was John Wesley. Said, it seems that God can't do anything unless someone asks him. So talking about the power of prayer and the need for prayer. So 
What happens if no one asks God for anything? What would happen if we don't allow God to show up in the earth, um, to show up and to show out? That's why I love praying in other tongues because the Lord, uh, you know that you're praying not to men, but you're praying to God. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 14 that God gives you the utterance, the words to speak. And so you realize that you're not praying man's um, will or desires. And sometimes, you know, I've prayed, and especially if it's a particularly emotional type of situation, you find yourself like, you want to pray certain things, and maybe your heart's like, eh, don't pray that, maybe you shouldn't pray that. And uh, it's such a benefit to be able to pray in other tongues because you know that you're praying out the perfect will of God. You're speaking divine secrets, divine mysteries. And uh, it's a way that God can get accomplished what he wants to get accomplished, you know, uh, in in the earth today. And many times uh, you'll pray for things that you had no idea uh, that were going to happen. I think of a story... Uh, of a, this is from the 1920s. There was a um, a father and his daughter and son-in-law had gone over to Africa to be missionaries. And uh, the father was a farmer, and he would get up early in the morning, 5:30 every morning, and milk the cows. And so one morning he got up and um, he went to milk the cows, and the Holy Spirit arrested him. And he went in the house and he told his wife, he said, "I, I got to pray. It has something to do with." Our daughter Blanche, I'm not sure what, but i got to pray. So 5.30 in the morning, he doesn't milk the cows. He goes and he starts praying in other tongues. And he prays and prays and prays. And, you know, the cows start lowing because they haven't been milked. And the sheep are making noise because they haven't been fed. And he's praying and praying. And about 10.30 in the morning, his wife finally joins him because he's still got this burden. And he's just praying and praying and praying, praying in other tongues. And... About 1.30 in the afternoon, a little bit before that, he got a note of praise while he's praying in other tongues. And he said, ooh, you know, praise the Lord, and joy kind of hit him. And uh, so he finished praying about 1.30, and um, he said, well, I'm not sure what happened, but whatever it is, it's taken care of. Well, he talked to his daughter, and um, there was, I can't remember if it was bubonic plague or malaria, malarial fever, but remember, this is in the 20s, so they didn't have, like, the medicine to uh, help you with any of that. And she was basically going to die. She was ministering to all these people, and every time they, they would get this, she would see that they would die. And all of a sudden, when they coordinated times, when that note of praise hit him in, in the United States, the exact same time that fever just instantly left her. So uh, the point is that the, the Holy Spirit gives you things to pray about that you may not know about. And sometimes maybe they're for people you don't even know, but in that situation, uh, imagine your own family the privilege you have to pray out things that God wants done in the earth for your own family. And, uh, you know, it took him eight hours, but I suppose that it's worth the life of his daughter, the extended life of his daughter. Had she died, of course, she would have gone to heaven. But what a blessing it is to have her here on the earth. And um, it's not really right for a child to go to heaven before their parents anyhow. So the Holy Spirit gives you a way to pray things out, to pray the will of God and um, accomplish things that he wants accomplished. But God has a plan, and his plan includes you and includes me. So that's why um, he had to have us, even in that circumstance, to pray through. 
So God wanted to heal that woman. God did not want the power of the devil through sickness dominating that woman on the mission field. But he needed someone who would yield to him, who would let him speak through them. So that's maybe kind of a dramatic example. But it's the same thing when you're, you know, like a few weeks ago when I was flying and I, I you know, ministered the gospel to that lady. The Lord is looking for people who will speak for him, who will uh, not be ashamed of him, but let his life flow through them. The devil comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Have life the way that God has it. So if we yield to that life that's in us and let that life dominate us, we'll become more and more and more like Jesus Christ. The reflection of him will be seen uh, in our countenance and in uh, the wake that our life uh, leaves behind us as we go. So what does response mean? So here's seven things uh, that will stimulate our response or seven verbs that mean response. Number one, feel what Jesus felt. If you feel what Jesus felt, you respond the way Jesus would respond. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Actually, for the sake of time, I'll just read verse 14. He was touched by the feelings of our infirmities. I like how the King James says it, infirmities. Uh, he was touched by the feelings of hurting people. So we see hurting people. We see people, and somebody's like, like oh, you mean like they got a cut or a broken leg? Or, well, sure. He's touched by that. But you know how many people are hurting in their heart? Jesus Christ came to heal broken hearts. What's that? Uh, I think I have it further in my notes here. Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19. <clears throat> Jesus said, <clears throat> well, he read this really from Isaiah. He got up, synagogue, and read this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. So when the Spirit of God comes upon you, he's coming upon you for the same thing. Because you are Christ in the earth. You're taking his place. Uh, think about it. You're made a new creature. Jesus, the Bible says, is the firstborn of a new generation. So he's the firstborn of this new generation that we are. And then the same Holy Spirit that anointed Jesus is the same Holy Spirit that came to live inside of you, that recreated you, and that when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, comes upon you. <clears throat> same Holy Spirit. Not a different one. There's only one Holy Spirit. I guess I do want it. So let that sink in for a second. If you have the same equipment, the same tools as Jesus had, you could probably do the same things that Jesus did. Of course, we know that only one man could redeem mankind, and that's Jesus Christ. So we're not talking about actually going and taking all the sin of the world on you and doing all... There's no reason for that because Hebrews tells us that he took his own blood not into an earthly tabernacle, but into the heavenly holies of holies, once and for all. One time for all people. So that doesn't have to be done again. But <clears throat> the devil is trying to torture people, torment people, and bind people up. Like so that they can't function, they can't have an effective life, and they can't have 
the, the good life. I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly, the abundant life. The devil obviously wants to steal, kill, and destroy. He doesn't want us to have that life. And Jesus came for that life for us and for the world, that the life of God could flow through, uh, through us so we could be connected with God, so much connected to God that we had his very nature, that the way that God loves is the way that we would love, that the way that God thinks is the way that we would think, that the way that God speaks is the way that we would speak. So we want to feel what Jesus felt. And then number two, we want to see what Jesus saw. See what Jesus saw. So he saw the multitudes. He saw the lepers. He saw those that were bound. He saw the captives. He, he saw what, he, what, what they saw. Uh, I want to tell a, a little illustration uh, that I heard from T.L. Osborne, and that's this. He said, imagine this with me. We're all at this great party, all Christians at the party. We're having a huge time, amazing food, amazing um, things going on. We're just laughing and cutting up and having a really good time. But imagine with me up the road about, and we can really imagine that here because it's not flat like Michigan. Imagine up the road about a mile or two, there's a woman, and she's holding a newborn baby, and she's walking on the side of the road. Man, this illustration is really good in Virginia. Because if you've driven any of the roads in Virginia besides the, the um, wide or what, but they are the narrowest roads that you'll, you'll drive on. So I guess maybe there's not enough snow to make them wide or what. But anyhow, they're like super narrow. And so imagine this woman's walking on the side of that road, and where she's walking, there is this huge ravine. And she's walking on the edge. And this big truck goes by, and there's another car passing, so he can't get over. And it knocks this woman and the baby down into this big ravine. We're over here having a party. We don't care because we don't know. We don't know about it. But there's not one of us, if we knew about it, that wouldn't get up and go and help that woman and the baby. So if we don't know, we don't care. So knowledge of the condition of the lost and knowledge of what's going on in the world actually motivates us to action. Now, if you just have knowledge of that, you probably would get depressed. It's like people that sit and watch the news and have no hope in Jesus Christ because they're like, oh my gosh, the world's going to end and this is terrible. And of course, the news exaggerates a lot of things too. Uh, but if we don't know, we don't care. So we need to, we need to know um, and we need to comprehend uh, our part, that we have a part in what God's doing. Number three, understand his mission. That his mission, he also gave us a commission, the great commission we call it. Uh, that we are uh, not just waiting on him to do something, we're not just waiting on the ministry people to do something, but we have a commission. I like Patsy Caminiti's ministry uh, purpose statement, their vision says, uh, his mission is our commission. And that's go into all the world, preach the gospel. Number four, value what Jesus paid. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, and he has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. And I really like the Amplified translation. It says, it was God personally present in Christ, reconciling the world to favor with himself, not counting up and holding against men their trespasses, but canceling them 
and committing to us the message of reconciliation, of restoration to favor. I love that. God personally present in Christ. So it's God personally present in you. God personally present in me. Uh, If you abide in me, Jesus said, and my words abide in you, you'll ask what you will and it shall be done. You can't have life flowing in you without staying connected to Christ. And then you have the life of Christ flowing inside of you. And you allow his nature to dominate you and you allow his, uh, his life to dominate you. Number five, realize that he uh, has trust in us. John 15, 16, Jesus said, you have chosen, you've not chosen me, but I have chosen you. That's what I, I like. You know, some people want to say, like, tell how much they love God, how much faith they have in God. Well, it's really better to tell people how much God loves them and how much faith God has in them. God has so much faith in you that he chose you to live in this day, in this age, because he knows that you, anointed by him and made a new creature in Christ Jesus, can do anything that his word says that you can do. So he trusts you to live. You know, it would be great to live in the days of the apostles, but it's probably much better to live today. And it is for sure in the mind and plan of God because he caused you to show up on the earth today or how many years ago. So realize that he has trust in us. And number six, comprehend our part in his program. Meaning we have a part. So when you're uh, charismatic, word of faith, Pentecostal, a lot of times, uh, there's, man, there's a lot of different things that people will say, and uh, unfortunately, not all of it is biblical. But when you're denominational, there's a lot of different things that people will say, and unfortunately, not all of it is biblical. But one of the things uh, that's amazing, because we learn the authority we have, uh, get a glimpse of it at least, and we begin to grow in some of these things, is sometimes people will like pray and send angels to do everything that we're supposed to do. <laughs> so, you know... Uh, you know, the Bible actually says pray for laborers to be sent into the harvest field, so that's one of the best prayers you can do. But you realize as you start praying for laborers for a certain area, you got something starts to tug you on the inside for that area, like, well, could you be more involved? What else could you do? What could you do? And not to, to bring it home, maybe you have a friend or someone that you, an acquaintance or somebody else that has a friend that they don't know about Jesus, and you just know that they need Jesus. And instead of you kind of talking to them about Christ, uh, or about your testimony, or about, man, you know, I used, to, I used to be depressed every week, or I used to get upset about this or about that, but then I started to, I realized this is not going anywhere good and fast. So I started looking and searching, and then I heard about Jesus Christ. I don't know what you think about Jesus Christ, but all I can tell you is my personal experience, and because of what happened with him and me, I don't struggle with that anymore. This is where I'm changed. And so instead of praying, uh, and it's good to pray, but instead of just praying, Lord, send someone across their paths, maybe the Lord is sending you or me across their path. Maybe we're the answer uh, that the Lord is sending. So we have to comprehend our part in the program. So it's good to kind of think about these things, let them roll around and realize, okay, what is God going to do if I don't do something in my area of influence? In other words, in my daily life, where I work, where I eat, where I hang out, the people I come in contact with. It's real easy to go with the crowd. It's the easiest thing in the world, just do what everybody else is doing. The Bible says to compare yourselves among yourselves is not wise. Jesus Christ is our litmus test. He's our mark. He's our goal. He's our goal. 
not um, your pastor, not your friend, not the most spiritual person that you know, unless that's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is, is the litmus test, and he's really the standard. God is, God is unable to do it alone by himself, what he wants to do in the earth. He needs us. And uh, religion will kind of like be like, no, 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 no. Whatever happens will happen. Uh, that's not what the Bible says. Number seven, assume our role as his coworker. 2 Corinthians 5.20, we are his ambassador. If you just keep reading right there uh, where we were reading, it talks about that we are ambassadors for Christ. John 17.20, I'm in you and you're in me. Hebrews 13.5, uh, Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So God's plan includes you and includes me, actually relies upon you and relies upon me, relies upon all believers. And then... Once you're a believer, then our job is to go out and preach the gospel. Like, tell people the good news of Jesus Christ. And I'll, I'll kind of close with this, that when the gospel is preached, when the gospel is preached, the power of God is present. Remember when Jesus ministered the, and the power of God was present to heal them? When, when the gospel is preached, I have no idea. There we go. When the gospel is preached, you know, like we talked about last week, God is outside of time. He's not subject to time. He's outside of time. So the gospel event, you can visit that gospel event at any moment. When the gospel is preached, that gospel event, all of the same power that raised Christ from the dead is available. So if you're talking to people or I'm talking to people and we're telling them that, you know, Second uh, Corinthians right there, we, we read it earlier, talked about that we're to go tell people God's not mad at you. He actually made you right with him. You just have to accept it. Because what the devil wants to tell people, even Christians, but especially non-Christians, is that you're not good enough to come to Christ. You have to get good enough first. Well, you can never get good enough. That's the whole point. If you, if you do everything right, the Bible says in James, but offend in one part, you're guilty of all. Guilty of all the law. So none of us could accomplish it. That's why Jesus Christ had to come. But the devil still tries to tell people, you're not good enough. There's a, a song we used to sing, one of the churches I went to, every altar call, come just as you are. And that's how you come to Christ. Whether you're a non-believer or a believer, it doesn't really matter what you just did, what you just thought, you come just as you are. And say, Lord, here I am. I can't do this by myself. I need you and I need your help. I want to read you this. This is a, a summary of a definition from um, a theological dictionary talking about the definition of gospel. The message of Christ is the power of God, which is the power of salvation. The power of God in the gospel is proven as God delivers people from the power of darkness and translates them into the kingdom of his dear son. Gospel is not an empty word. It's grounded in the divine act of deliverance from the rule of Satan and that deliverance becomes fact by the preaching of the gospel. Remember, as many as heard him became perfectly whole. The preaching of the gospel is the continuation of the saving activity of Christ. Therefore, the proclaimers of the gospel are the continuators of Christ's ministry. They stand in the place of Jesus and are as he is. That's all, you know, that's... You know, I say a theological dictionary. That just means that's like a, a big dictionary. It's called the Kittle that a bunch of people, uh, uh, wonderful people, 
put together, and they all came together, just like when they would translate the Bible, that, you know, you get a, like a whole group of people, and they would translate it and, you know, pray over the whole thing. Same type of thing here. That's just the definition of the word gospel in your New Testament, that that gospel contains in it the power. And when it's spoken, that same power is there. So when we speak the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, when we speak that gospel, everything that's contained in the gospel is available. And so that's why when you preach the gospel, people will start getting healed. People's minds will be set free. People's uh, financial um, assets can change because the gospel is what has the power. So if you guys are like in ministry, doing any kind of ministry full-time, or you're ministering on your own, or you're bivocational, whatever you are, each, each member really is a minister of the body of Christ, uh, always throw in a little gospel. Because sometimes people, uh, there's many good things, and teach people how to budget and all of that, and we're not negating any of that. But, you know, we're to be the salt and the light. And the gospel, the Bible says, is the power of God unto salvation. And so uh, if you're not experiencing a lot of power and you talk to people, you know, tell them the gospel and figure out a way to tell them in like 21st century language so that people, you know, can kind of grab hold of it. But just, I mean, uh, Joyce Meyer, I really like how she talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit because she said, you know, it's not as much as there used to be, but there used to be a lot of controversy. People like, well, is that of God? Is that of this? Whatever. Joyce, she'll get up at her meetings, uh, normally the last day of her meetings, although this year she's been teaching on the Holy Spirit. The last day of her meetings, she'll get up and she said, you know, there's a lot of opinions about being filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to tell you this is what the Bible says, and this is my experience, and, you know, I preach way better, I minister way better, I'm a better Christian because of it. If you want it, you can receive it. Uh, I like that because it's kind of like, you know, I'm not trying to convince you of anything. The Holy Spirit he will draw men's hearts. Uh, and all our job is to tell people, but we want to do it in love. And just say, you know what? I, it brings me to tears to see you living that way. I'm so sorry you have to experience that, that you have to uh, go through life like that. But there is a better way. There is a better way. So if you'll stand with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is full of your life, that your word is full of your power. And Father, I just pray for each and every person here or listening. Father, for whatever needs uh, may be uh, in our lives, we thank you, Father, that you have met every need and that you've not only met it, but you have exceeded it. So I just pray uh, for each and every person that may be desiring something from you that you would um, cause them to open up uh, their hearts to you, that you cause me to open up my heart to you, to allow you to do what you really want to do in our lives and through our lives. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, or you're here today and you'd like to be uh, filled with the Holy Spirit, you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit, we'd love to pray with you, to minister to you. Uh, as I was saying in the message, I'm not going to sing for you, but come just as you are. There's nothing you need to do or to change about yourself uh, in order to come to Christ. In fact, Jesus Christ specializes in your weakness. He specializes in bringing strength and life to your weakness. 
He specializes in the thing that you have the most difficulty with. That's his specialty. And he loves you uh, more than your mom or dad or sister or brother or best friend or husband or wife could ever love you because he, his love is perfect love. Uh, and his love casts out all fear. He has no fear that you're not going to do what's right. He has no fear that you're going to mess up. He just trusts you. So if you don't know uh, Jesus Christ and you'd like to uh, pray with me or pray with us, just slip up your hand and we'll pray with you. Also, if you uh, are not filled with the Spirit and you'd like to be filled with the Spirit, uh, Jesus said, you know, wait in Jerusalem till you be endued with power from on high. And then, you know, on the day of Pentecost, they're all together in one place and there came from heaven a sound like a rushing mighty wind. It filled the whole place and there set tongues of fire on each of them. And they all begin to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance, as the Spirit gave them words to speak. Uh, really, Acts chapter 8 talks a lot about that, different people receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And you can receive um, the baptism of the Holy Spirit right here, right now. You can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit just like you can receive Christ on your own or with a group. So if you'd like to be baptized in the Holy Spirit this morning, Just slip up your hand. We'll pray with you and for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for another opportunity to um, really just trust you with our lives. Father, we thank you for each and every person that's uh, listening to this or, or that's here this morning. Father, we thank you for making a way where there seemed to be no way, where the devil would try to lie to us and tell us that we couldn't do or we couldn't be who you've called us to be or do what you've called us to do. Father, I pray for uh, each person under the sound of my voice that we wouldn't just um, barely make it through life, but that we would uh, be able to say, I've run the race, I've finished the course that you've called us to do. I pray and desire that you'd fill each of us with the knowledge of your will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that we can walk worthy of you, Father, unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of you, Father, in the knowledge of God. In Jesus' name, amen.